0: 4. I might add the great declension of some of the reformed churches from the purity and simplicity of that doctrine they were first planted in. The new Methodists about the grace of God, had too great an increase in the French churches. And, which was very strange, this declension advanced amongst them, at the same time, when Jansenism was spreading amongst many of the Church of Rome, so that a man might have seen Papists growing better in their doctrine, and Protestants growing worse. See Mr. Gale's idea of Jansenism, with Dr. Owen's preface. What there is of this amongst us in England, I leave the reader to Mr. Jenkins, Sally Usma, and to the Naked Truth, Part Four. And if there be any warping toward Arminian doctrine by some on our side, in order to ingratiate themselves with that church, that hath the secular advantages to dispense and to make way for some accommodation with them, I had rather wait in fear till a further discovery of it, than offer to guess at. 5. Lastly, it is no small disadvantage this doctrine lies under from the spirit of the day we live in. A light, frothy, trifling temper, prevails generally, doctrines of the greatest weight are talked of and treated about, with a vain unconcerned frame of spirit, as if men contended rather about opinions and school points, than about the oracles of God, and matters of faith. But if men's hearts were seen by themselves, if some were felt, If men's consciences were enlivened, if God's holy law were known in its exactness and severity, and the glory and majesty of the lawgiver shining before men's eyes, if men were living as leaving time, and launching forth into eternity, their gospel salvation by Jesus Christ would be more regarded. Object. 1. Is there not a great decay amongst professors in real practical godliness? Are we like the old Protestants, or the old Puritans? I answer, that the decay and degeneracy is great, and heavily to be bewailed. But what is the cause? And what will be its cure? Is it because the doctrine of morality, and virtue, and good works, is not enough preached? This cannot be for there hath been for many years a public ministry in the nation, that makes these their constant themes. Yet the land is become as Sodom for all lewdness, and the tree of profaneness is so grown, that the sword of the magistrate hath not yet been able to lop off any of its branches. Is it because men have too much faith in Christ? Or too little? Or none at all? Would not faith in Christ increase holiness? Did it not always so? And will it not still do it? Was not the holiness of the first Protestants eminent and shining? And yet they generally put assurance in the definition of their faith. We cannot say that gospel holiness hath prospered much by the correction or mitigation of the harsh-like definition. The certain spring of this prevailing wickedness in the land, is people's ignorance and unbelief of the gospel of Christ, and that grows by many prophets, that speak lies to them in the name of the Lord. Object. 2. But do not some abuse the grace of the gospel, and turn it into wantonness? Answer. Yes, some do, ever did and still will do so. But it is only the ill understood, and not believed doctrine of grace that they abuse. The grace itself no man can abuse, for its power prevents its abuse. Let us see how Paul, that blessed herald of this grace, as he was an eminent instance of it, deals with this objection, Romans 6, 1. What doth he to prevent this abuse? Is it by extenuating what he had said, chapter 5, 20, that grace abounds much more? where sin had abounded? Is it by mincing grace smaller, that men may not choke upon it, or surfeit by it? Is it by mixing something of the law with it, to make it more wholesome? No but only by plain asserting the power and influence of this grace, wherever it really is, as at length in that chapter. This grace is all treasured up in Christ Jesus, offered to all men in the gospel, poured forth by our Lord in the working of faith, and drunk in by the elect in the exercise of faith, and becomes in them a living spring, which will and must break out and spring up in all holy conversation. He exhorts them to drink in more and more of this grace by faith. And as for such as pretend to grace, and live ungodly, the Spirit of God declares they are void of grace, which is always fruitful in good works, 2 Peter 2. And Jude's Epistle the apostle orders the churches to cast such out 1 Corinthians 5 2 Timothy 3 5 and to declare to them as Peter did to a professor that they have no part nor portion in this matter for their heart is not right in the sight of God Acts 8 20 21 though the doctrine be right that they hypocritically profess but if our brethren will not forbear their charge of antinomianism we entreat them that they will give it unjustly as 1 On them that say that the sanction of the holy law of God is repealed, so that no man is now under it, either to be condemned for breaking it, or to be saved by keeping it, which to us is rank antinomianism and Arminianism both, yea, that it doth not now require perfect holiness. But indeed what can it require? For it is no law if its sanction be repealed. 2. On them let the charge lie, that are ungodly under the name of Christianity. And both they and we know, where to find such true antinomians in great abundance, who yet are never called by that name. And is it not somewhat strange, that men, who have so much zeal against an antinomian principle, have so much kindness for true antinomians in practice? 3. Let him be called by this ugly name, that judges not the holy law and word of God written in the Old and New Testament to be a perfect rule of life to all believers, and soth not that all such should study conformity thereunto, Romans 12, 2, 4. That encourages himself in sin, and hardens himself in impotence by the doctrine of the gospel. No man that knows, and believes the gospel can do so. What some hypocrites may do is nothing to us who disown all such persons and practices, and own no principle, that can really encourage the one or influence the other. 5. That thinks holiness is not necessary to all that would be saved. We maintain, not only that it is necessary to, but that it is a great part of salvation. 6. Whoever thinks that when a believer comes short in obeying God's law, he sins not, and that he ought not to mourn, because of it as provoking to God and hurtful to the new creation in him, and that he needs not renew the exercise of faith and repentance for repeated washing and pardoning. Lastly that says that a sinner is actually justified, before he be united to Christ by faith. It is strange that such as are charged with this, of all men, do most press on sinners to believe on Jesus Christ, and urge the damnation threatened in the gospel upon all unbelievers. That there is a decreed justification from eternity, particular and fixed as to all the elect, and a virtual perfect justification of all the redeemed in and by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ Isaiah 53, 11, Romans 4, 25, Hebrews 9, 26, 28, and 10, 14, is not yet called in question by any amongst us, and more is not craved but that a sinner, for his actual justification, must lay hold on, and plead this redemption in Christ's blood by faith. But, on the other hand, We glory in any name of reproach, as the honorable reproach of Christ, that is cast upon us for asserting the absolute boundless freedom of the grace of God, which excludes all merit, and everything like it. The absoluteness of the covenant of grace, for the covenant of redemption was plainly and strictly a conditional one, and the noblest of all conditions was in it. The Son of God's taking on him man's nature, and offering it in sacrifice, was the strict condition of all the glory and reward promised to Christ and His seed, Isaiah 53, 10, 11, wherein all things are freely promised, and that faith, that is required for sealing a man's interest in the covenant is promised in it, and wrought by the grace of it. Ephesians 2, 8. That faith at first is wrought by, and acts upon a full and absolute offer of Christ, and of all is fullness, an offer that hath no condition in it, but that native want to all offers, acceptance and in the very act of this acceptance, the acceptor doth expressly disclaim all things in himself, but sinfulness and misery. That faith in Jesus Christ doth justify, although by the way it is to be noted, that it is never written in the word, that faith justifies actively, but always passively, that a man is justified by faith, and that God justifies men by and through faith. Yet admitting the phrase only as a mere instrument receiving that imputed righteousness of Christ for which we are justified, and that this faith, in the office of justification, is neither condition nor qualification, nor our gospel righteousness, but in its very act the renouncing of all such pretenses. We proclaim the market of grace to be free, Isaiah 55, 1, 2, 3. It is Christ's last offer and lowest. Revelation twenty two, seventeen If there be any price or money spoke of, it is no price, no money. And where such are the terms and conditions, if we be forced to call them so, we must say that they look like a that is, more like a renouncing than a boasting of any qualifications or conditions. Surely the terms of the gospel bargain are God's free giving, and our free taking and receiving. We are not ashamed of teaching the ineffectualness of the law, and all the works of it, to give life, either that of justification, or of regeneration and sanctification, or of eternal life that the law of God can only damn all sinners, that it only rebukes, and thereby irritates and increases sin, and can never subdue it till gospel grace come with power upon the heart, and then when the law is written in the heart, it is copied out in the life. That we call men to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, in that case that first Adam brought them to, and left them in, in that case, that the law finds and leaves them in, guilty, filthy, condemned out of which case they can only be delivered by Christ, and by believing on Him. That we tell sinners, that Jesus Christ will surely welcome all that come to Him, and, as He will not cast them out for their sinfulness in their nature and by past life, so neither for their misery, in the one of such qualifications and graces, that he only can give. That we do hold forth the propitiation in Christ's blood, as the only thing to be in the eye of a man, that would believe on Christ unto justification of life, and that by this faith alone a sinner is justified, and God is justified in doing so. That God justifies the ungodly, Romans 4, 5, neither by making him godly before he justify him, nor leaving him ungodly after he hath justified him, but that the same grace that justifies him, doth immediately sanctify him. If for such doctrine we be called antinomians, we are bold to say, that there is some ignorance of, or prejudice at the known Protestant doctrine, in the hearts of the reproachers. That there are some things we complain of. As, one, that they load their brethren so grievously with unjust calumnies, Either directly or by consequence, as when they preach up holiness, and the necessity of it, as if it were their proper doctrine, and disowned by us, when they cannot but know in their consciences that there is no difference betwixt them and us about the nature and necessity of holiness, but only about its spring and place in salvation. We derive it from Jesus Christ and faith in Him, and know assuredly that it can spring from nothing else. We place it betwixt justification and glory. And that is its scripture place, and nowhere else can it be found or stand, let them try it as much and as long as they will. 2. That they seem very zealous against antinomianism, and forget the other extreme of Arminianism, which is far more common, as dangerous, and far more natural to all men. For though there have been, and may be this day, some true antinomians, either through ignorance, or weakness, reeling to the extreme, or by the heat of contention with, and hatred of Arminianism, as it is certain some very good, and learned men have inclined to Arminianism, through their hatred of antinomianism, and have declared so much, and some may, and do corrupt the doctrine of the gospel, through the unrenewedness of their hearts, yet how destructive soever this abuse may be to the souls of the seduced, such an appearance of antinomianism is but a meteor or comet, that will soon blaze out and its folly will be quickly hissed off the stage. But the principles of Arminianism are the natural dictates of a carnal mind, which is enmity both to the law of God and to the gospel of Christ. And, next to the dead sea of into which all this stream runs, have, since Pelagius to this day, been the greatest plague of the church of Christ, and it is like will be till his second coming. 3. We do also justly complain, that, in their opposing of true antinomian errors, and particularly the alleged tenets of Dr. Crisp, they think that there is a party of ministers and professors that defend them, whereas we can defy them to name one minister, in London at least, that doth so. 4. That expressions capable of a good sense are strenuously perverted, contrary to the scope of the writer or speaker. But this and such like are the usual methods of unfair contenders. Were the like methods taken on the other hand, how many Popish, Arminian, yea and Socinian expressions, might be published. If any gospel truth be preached or published, that reflects on the idol of self-righteousness, and justification thereby, it is soon quarreled with. But reproaches cast on the free grace of God, and the imputed righteousness of Christ are with them, if not approved, yet but venial, well-meant mistakes. Let men's stated principles be known, and their expressions explained accordingly, or mistakes and contentions will be endless. 5. We do also complain, that love to peace hath made many grave, and sound divines forbear to utter their minds freely in public on these points, whereby the adverse party is emboldened, and such ministers as dare not purchase peace by silence, when so great truths are undermined, are exposed as a mark. But we do not question but these worthy brethren, when they shall see the points of controversy accurately stated as they may shortly, will openly appear on truth's side, as we know their hearts are for it. Lastly, we complain that the scheme of the gospel contended for by our opposers is clouded, veiled, and darkened by school terms, new, uncouth, and unscriptural phrases, whereby, as they think to guard themselves against opposition, so they do increase the jealousies of their brethren and keep their principles from the knowledge of ordinary people, who are as much concerned in those points, as any scholar or divine. This controversy looks like a very bad omen. We thought we might have healed our old breaches, in smaller things, and, behold, a new one is threatened in the greatest matters. We did hope, that the good old Protestant doctrine had been rooted and riveted in the hearts of all the ministers on our side, but now we find the contrary and that the sour leaven of Arminianism works strongly. Their advocates do not yet own a name, but the younger sort is more bold and free, and with them no books or authors are in esteem and use, but such as are for the new rational method of divinity. Rational is a fitter commendation of a philosopher, than of a divine and yet it is somewhat better applied to a divine, than to divinity for true divinity hath a higher and nobler original than man's reason, even divine revelation, and it will never be rightly learned by them, that have no higher principle in them than reason, even the teaching of the Holy Ghost. But for Luther, Calvin, Zanchi, Twist, Ames, Perkins, and divines of their spirit and stamp, they are generally neglected and despised. We were in hope, that after the Lord had so signally appeared for His truth and people, in preserving both, under the rage of that anti-Christian spirit of persecution and apostasy to gross popery that wrought so mightily under the two last reigns, and when he had given us the long-desired mercy of a legal establishment of our gospel liberty in this, that all hearts and hands should have been unanimously employed in the advancing of the work of Christ. But we find, that as we have for a long time lost, in a great measure, the power we are now in no small danger of losing also the purity of the gospel. And without them what signifies liberty? It is undoubted, that the devil designs the obstructing of the course of the gospel, and in this he hath often had the service of the tongues and pens of good men, as well as of bad. Yet we are not without hope, that the Lord, in his wisdom and mercy, will defeat him, and that these contentions may yet have good fruit and a good issue. For furthering of this good end, let me request a few things of my brethren. 1. Let us not receive reports suddenly of one another. In times of contention, many false reports are raised, and rashly believed. This is both the fruit and the fuel of contention. For all the noise of antinomianism, I must declare, that I do not know and I have both opportunity and inclination to inquire any one antinomian minister or Christian in London, who is really such as their reproachers paint them out, or such as Luther and Calvin wrote against. 2. Let us make Christ crucified our great study, as Christians, and the preaching of Him our main work, as ministers. Paul determined to know nothing else, 1 Corinthians 2, 2. But many managed the ministry as if they had taken up a contrary determination, even to know anything, save Jesus Christ, and Him crucified, we are amazed to see so many ashamed of the cross of Christ, and to behave as, if they accounted the tidings of salvation by the slain Son of God, an old antiquated story, and unfit to be daily preached. And what comes in the room thereof is not unknown, nor is it worth the mentioning. For all things, that come in Christ's room, and jostle him out, either of hearts or pulpits, are like abominable to a Christian. How many sermons may a man hear, and read when printed, yea, and books written, about the way to heaven, wherein is hardly the name of Jesus Christ. And if he be named, it is the name of Christ, as a judge and lawgiver, rather than that of a savior. And as little room hath Christ in many men's prayers, except it be in the conclusion. When we cannot avoid the observing of those sad things, let it be a sharp spur to us, to preach Christ more, to pray more in his name, and to live more to his praise. Let us not be deceived with that pretense, that Christ may be preached, when he is not named. The preaching of the gospel is the naming of Christ, and so called, Romans 15:20. And Paul was to bear Christ's name before the Gentiles, and kings, and the children of Israel, Acts 9. 15. 3. Let us study hard, and pray much, to know the truth, and to cleave unto it. It is an old observation, anti-Pelagius Securius Loquab and before Pelagius even the fathers spoke more carelessly, meaning well, and fearing no mistakes in their hearers. Now, it is not so, the more careful should we be in our doctrine. Let us search our own consciences, and see how we ourselves are justified before God. So Paul argued, Galatians 2, 15, 16. And let us bring forth the doctrine to our people, that we find in our Bibles, and have felt the power of upon our own hearts. 4. Let us not run into extremes, upon the right or left hand, through the heat of contention, but carefully keep the good old way of the Protestant doctrine, wherein so many thousands of saints and martyrs of Jesus have lived holily, and died happily, who never heard of our new schemes and notions. And, for this end, let us take and cleave to the test of the assembly's confession of faith and catechisms. More we own not ourselves, more we crave not of our brethren, and because we deal fairly and openly, I shall set it down verbatim. Conf. Chapter 11 Of Justification Article 1. Those whom God effectually calls, He also freely justifies not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins, and by accounting and accepting their persons, as righteous not for anything wrought in them, or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone not by imputing faith itself, the act of believing, or any other evangelical obedience, to them as their righteousness, but by imputing the obedience and satisfaction of Christ unto them. They are receiving and resting on Him and His righteousness by faith, which faith? They have not of themselves, it is the gift of God. Article 2 Faith, thus receiving and resting on Christ and His righteousness, is the alone instrument of justification, yet is it not alone in the person justified, but is ever accompanied with all other saving graces, and is no dead faith, but works by love. Article 3 Christ by his obedience and faith, did fully discharge the debt of all those that are thus justified, and did make a proper, real, and full satisfaction to his Father's justice in their behalf. Yet, inasmuch as he was given by the Father for them, and his obedience and satisfaction accepted in their stead, and both freely, not for anything in them, their justification is only a free grace, that both the exact justice and rich grace of God might be glorified in the justification of sinners. Article four God did, from all eternity, decree to justify all the elect, and Christ did, in the fullness of time, die for their sins, and rise again for their justification nevertheless they are not justified, until the Holy Spirit doth in due time actually applies Christ unto them. Article five. God doth continue to forgive the sins of those that are justified. And although they can never fall from the state of justification, yet they may by their sins, fall under God's fatherly displeasure, and not have the light of His countenance restored unto them, until they humble themselves, confess their sins, beg pardon, and renew their faith in repentance. Article 6 The justification of believers under the Old Testament was, in all these respects, one and the same with the justification of believers under the New Testament. This is the whole chapter exactly. Larger Catechism Q. How doth faith justify a sinner in the sight of God? Ends. Faith justifies a sinner in the sight of God, not because of those other graces which do always accompany it, or of good works, that are the fruits of it, nor as if the grace of faith, or any act thereof, were imputed to him for his justification, but only as it is an instrument, by which he receives and applies Christ and his righteousness. Let these weighty words be, but hardly assented to in their plain and native sense and we are one in this great point of justification. But can any considering man think that the new scheme, of a real change, repentance, and sincere obedience, is necessary to be found in the person, that may lawfully come to Christ for justification. A faith justifying, as it is the spring of sincere obedience, of a man's being justified by, And upon his coming up to the terms of the new law of grace a new word, but of an old and ill meaning, can any man think that the scheme and the sound words of the Reverend Assembly do agree? Surely, if such a scheme had been offered to that grave, learned, and orthodox synod, it would have had a more severe censure passed upon it than I am willing to name. Do not we find, in our particular dealings with souls, the same principles I am now opposing? When we deal with the carnal, secure, Careless sinners, and they are a vast multitude, and ask them the reason of that hope of heaven they pretend to, is not this their common answer? I live inoffensively. I keep God's law as well as I can, and wherein I fail, I repent, and beg God's mercy for Christ's sake. My heart is sincere, though my knowledge and attainments be short of others. If we go on to inquire further, what acquaintance they have with Jesus Christ? What application their souls have made to him? What workings of faith on him. What use they have made of his righteousness for justification, and his spirit for sanctification. What they know of living by faith in Jesus Christ. We are barbarians to them. And in this sad state many thousands in England live, and die, and perish eternally. Yet so thick is the darkness of the age, that many of them live here, and go hence with the reputation of good Christians, and some of them may have their funeral sermon and praises preached by an ignorant, flattering minister, though it may be the poor creatures never did, in the whole course of their life, nor at their death, employ Jesus Christ so much for an entry to heaven, purchased by his blood, and only accessible by faith in him, as a portrait doth Muhammad. For room in his beastly paradise. How common and fearful a thing is this in this land and city. When we come to deal with a poor awakened sinner, who sees his lost state, and that he is condemned by the law of God, we find the same principles working in him, for they are natural, and therefore universal in all men, and hardly rooted out of any. We find him sick and wounded, we tell him where his help lies, in Jesus Christ, what his proper work he is, to apply to him by faith. What is his answer? Alas! saith the man, I have been and I am so vile a sinner, my heart is so bad and so full of plagues and corruptions, that I cannot think of believing on Christ. But if I had but repentance, and some holiness in heart and life, and such and such gracious qualifications, I would then believe, when indeed this his answer is as full of nonsense, ignorance, and pride as words can contain or express. They imply, 1. If I were pretty well recovered, I would employ the physician, Christ. 2 that there is some hope to work out these good things by myself, without Christ. 3. And when I come to Christ with a price in my hand, I shall be welcome. 4. That I can come to Christ when I will. So ignorant are people naturally of faith in Jesus Christ, and no words or warnings repeated, nor plainest instructions, can beat into men's heads and hearts, that the first coming to Christ by faith, or believing on him, is not a believing we shall be saved by him, but a believing on him, that we may be saved by him. And it is less to be wondered at that ignorant people do not, when so many learned men will not, understand it. When we deal with the proud, self-righteous hypocrite, we find the same principles of enmity against the grace of the gospel. A profane person is not so enraged at the rebukes of sin from the law, as these Pharisees are at the discovery of their ruin by unbelief. They cannot endure to have their idol of self-righteousness touched, neither by the spirituality of God's law, that condemns all men, and all their works, while out of Christ, nor by the gospel, which reveals another righteousness than their own, by which they must be saved, but they will have God's Ark of the Covenant, to stand as a captive in the temple of their Dagon of self-righteousness until the vengeance of God's despised covenant overthrow both the temple, and idol, and worshippers. There is not a minister that deals seriously with the souls of men, but he finds an Arminian scheme of justification in every unrenewed heart. And is it not sadly to be bewailed that divines should plead that same cause, that we daily find the devil pleading in the hearts of all natural men? And that instead of casting down 2 Corinthians 10, 4, 5, They should be making the fences for such strongholds, as must either be leveled with the dust, or the rebel, that holds them out must eternally perish. It is no bad way of studying the gospel, and of attaining more light into it, that may be used in dealing particularly with the consciences of all sorts of men, as we have occasion. More may be learned this way than out of many large books. And if ministers would deal more with their own consciences, and the consciences of others, and in about these points, that are most properly cases of conscience, we should find an increase of gospel light, and a growing fitness to preach light, as Paul did by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God 2 Corinthians. 4.2 Let us kept up, in our hearts and doctrine, a reverent regard of the holy law of God, and suffer not a reflecting, disparaging word or thought of it, The great salvation is contrived with a regard to it, and the satisfaction given to the law by the obedience and death of Christ our surety, hath made it glorious and honorable, more than all the holiness of mints on earth, or of the glorified in heaven, and than all the torments of the damned in hell, though they do also magnify the law and make it honorable. But if men will teach that the law, and obedience unto it, whether perfect or sincere, is the righteousness we must be found in, and stand in, in our pleading for justification, they neither understand what they say, nor whereof they affirm, 1 Timothy 1, 7. They become debtors to it, and Christ profits them nothing, Galatians 2, and 5, 2, 5. And we know what will become of that man, that hath his debts to the law to pay, and hath no interest in the surety's payment. Yet many such offer their own silver, wish, whatever coin of man be upon it, is reprobate, and rejected both by law and gospel. Let us carefully keep the bounds clear betwixt the law and gospel, which, whosoever doth, is a right perfect divine, saith blessed Luther, in his commentary on the epistle to the Galatians, a book, that hath more plain sound gospel than many volumes of some other divines. Let us keep the law as far from the business of justification, as we would keep condemnation, its contrary for the law and condemnation are inseparable, but by the intervention of Jesus Christ our surety Galatians 310 10-14. But in the practice of holiness, the fulfilled law given by Jesus Christ to believers, as a rule is of great and good use to them, as hath been declared lastly, be exact in your communion and church administrations if any walk otherwise then it becomes the gospel if any abuse the doctrine of grace to licentiousness, draw the rod of discipline against them the more severely, that you know so many wait for your halting, and are ready to speak evil of the ways and truths of God. The wisdom of God sometimes orders the different opinions of men about his truth, for the clearing and confirming of it, while each side watch the extremes, that others may be in hazard of running into. And if controversy be fairly and meekly managed this way, we may differ, and plead our opinions, and both love and edify them we oppose, and may be loved and edified by them in their opposition. I know no fear possesses our side but that of Arminianism. Let us be fairly secured from that, and as we ever hated true antinomianism, so we are ready to oppose it with all our might. But having such grounds of jealousy, as I have named, and it is well known that I have not named all, men will allow us to fear that this noise of antinomianism is raised, and any advantage they have by the rashness and imprudence of some ignorant men is improved to a severe height by some, on purpose to shelter Arminianism in its growth, and to advance it further amongst us, which we pray and hope the Lord will prevent. Yours, Rob. Trail. Postscript. This paper presented to thee, was in its first design intended as a private letter to a particular brother, as the title bears. How it comes to be published, I shall not trouble the world with an account of. I think that Dr. Owen's excellent book of justification, and Mr. Marshall's book of the mystery of sanctification by faith in Jesus Christ, are such vindications and confirmations of the Protestant doctrine, against which I fear no effectual opposition. Dr. Owen's name is so savoury and famous. His soundness in the faith, and ability in learning for its defense, so justly reputed, that no sober man will attempt him. Mr. Marshall was a wholly retired person, and is only known to the most of us by his book published lately. The book is a deep, practical, well-jointed discourse, and requires a more than ordinary attention in the reading of it with profit, and if it be singly used, I look upon it, as one of the most useful books the world hath seen for many years. Its excellency is, that it leads the serious reader directly to Jesus Christ, and cuts the sinews and overturns the foundation of the new divinity, by the same argument of gospel holiness, by which many attempt to overturn the old, and as it hath already the seal of high approbation by many judicious ministers and Christians that have read it, so I fear not but it will stand firm, as a rock against all opposition, and will prove good seed, and food, and light, and life, to many. Hereafter. All my design in publishing this is, plainly and briefly, to give some information to ordinary plain people, who either want time or judgment, to peruse large and learned tractates about this point of justification, wherein everyone is equally concerned. The theme of justification hath suffered greatly by this, that many have employed their heads and pens, who never had their hearts and consciences exercised about it. And they must be frigid and dreaming speculations. That all such are taken up, with whose consciences are not enlivened with their personal concern in it. These things are undoubted one. That as it is a point of highest concern to every man, so it is to the whole doctrine of Christianity. All the great fundamentals of Christian truth center in this of justification. The trinity of persons in the Godhead, the incarnation of the only begotten of the Father, the satisfaction paid to the law and justice of God, for the sins of the world. By his obedience and sacrifice of himself in that flesh he assumed, and the divine authority of the scriptures, which reveal all this, are all straight lines of truth, that center in this doctrine of the justification of the sinner by the imputation and application of that satisfaction. No justification without a righteousness, no righteousness can be but what answers fully and perfectly the holy law of God, no such righteousness can be performed but by a divine person, no benefit can accrue to a sinner by it unless it be some way his, and applied to him, no application can be made of this but by faith in Jesus Christ. And as the connection with, and dependence of this truth upon the other great mysteries of divine truth is evident in the plain proposal of it, so the same hath been sadly manifest in this, that the forsaking of the doctrine of justification by faith in Christ's righteousness, hath been the first step of apostasy in many, who have not stopped till they revolted from Christianity itself, hence so many Arminians, and their chief leaders too, turned Socinians. From denying justification by Christ's righteousness, They proceeded to the denying of his satisfaction, from the denial of his proper satisfaction, they went on to the denying of the divinity of his person, and that man's charity is excessive, that will allow to such blasphemers of the Son of God. The name of Christians. Let not then the zeal of any so fundamental a point of truth, as that is of the justification of a sinner by faith in Christ be charged with folly. It is good to be always zealously affected in a good thing, and this is the best of things. 2. It is undoubted that there is a mystery in this matter of justification. As it is God's act, it is an act of free grace and deep wisdom. Here justice and mercy kiss one another in saving the sinner. Here appears God man with the righteousness of God, and this applied and imputed to sinful men. Here man's sin and misery are the field, in which the riches of God's grace and Christ are displayed. Here the sinner is made righteous by the righteousness of another, and obtains justification through this righteousness, though he pays and gives nothing for it. God declares him righteous, or justifies him freely, and yet he is well paid for it by the redemption, that is in Christ Jesus Romans 3, 24, 25, 26. It is an act of justice and mercy both when God justifies a believer on Jesus Christ, and must there not then be a great mystery in it? Is not every believer daily admiring the depth of this way of God? This mystery is usually rather darkened than illustrated by logical terms used in the handling of it. The only defense that good and learned men have for the use of them is and it hath great weight, that the craft of adversaries doth constrain them to use such terms, to find them out or hedge them in. It is certain, that this mystery is as plainly revealed in the Word, as the Holy Ghost thought fit to do in teaching the heirs of this grace, and it were well, if men did contain themselves within these bounds. 3. It is certain, that this doctrine of justification proposed in the Word, hath been very differently understood and expressed by men, that profess that God's Word is the only rule of their thoughts and words about the things of the Spirit of God it hath been, and will be still a stone of stumbling, as our Lord Jesus Christ himself was, and is, Romans 9, 32, 33 1 Peter 2, 7, 8, 4, that whatever variety and differences there be in men's notions and opinions and there is a great deal about justification, they are all certainly reducible to two, one of which is every man's opinion, and they are, that the justification of a sinner before God, is either on the account of a righteousness in and of ourselves, or on the account of a righteousness in another, even Jesus Christ, who is Jehovah our righteousness. Law and gospel, faith and works, Christ's righteousness and our own, grace and debt, do equally divide all in this matter. Crafty men may endeavor to blend and mix these things together in justification, but it is a vain attempt. It is not only most expressly rejected in the gospel, which peremptorily determines the contrariety, inconsistency, and incompatibility betwixt these two, but the nature of the things in themselves, and the sense and conscience of every serious person, do witness to the same, that our own righteousness, and Christ's righteousness, do comprehend all the pleas of men to justification one, or other of them every man in the world stands upon, and that they are inconsistent with and destructive one of another, in justification. If a man trusts to his own righteousness, he rejects Christ's, if he trusts to Christ's righteousness, he rejects his own. If he will not reject his own righteousness, as too good to be renounced, if he will not venture on Christ's righteousness, as not sufficient alone to bear him out, and bring him safe off at God's bar, he is in both a convicted unbeliever, and if he endeavor to patch up a righteousness before God, made up of both, he is still under the law, and a despiser of gospel grace, Galatians 2, 21. That righteousness that justifies a sinner, consists in the liquid indivisibility, and this every man finds when the case is his own, and he's serious about it. 5. These different sentiments about justification, have been at all times managed with a special acrimony, they that are for the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ, look upon it as the only foundation of all their hopes for eternity, and therefore cannot but be zealous for it. And the contrary side are as hot for their own righteousness, the most admired and adored idol of proud mankind, as if it were an image fallen down from Jupiter, when it is indeed the idol, that was cast out of heaven with the devil, and which he hath ever, since been so diligent to set up before sinful men to be worshipped that he might bring them into the same condemnation with himself, for, by true sin and false righteousness he hath deceived the whole world, Revelation 12, 9. 6. As the Holy Ghost speaking in the Scriptures, is the supreme and infallible judge and determiner of all truth, so where he doth particularly, and on purpose, deliver any truth, there we are specially to attend and learn. And though, in most points of truth, He usually teaches us by a bare authoritative narration, yet, in some points, which his infinite wisdom foresaw, special opposition to, he doth not only declare, but debate and determine the truth. And the instances are two especially. One is about the divinity of Christ's person and dignity of his priesthood, reasoned, argued, and determined, in the epistle to the Hebrews. The other is about justification by faith exactly handled in the epistles to the Romans and to the Galatians. In the former of these two, the doctrine of free justification is taught us most formally and accurately. And though we find no charge against that church in Paul's time, or in his epistle for their departing from the truth in this point, yet the wisdom of the Holy Ghost is remarkable in this, that this doctrine should be so plainly asserted, and strongly proved, in an epistle to that church. The pretended successors whereof have apostatized from that faith, and prove the main assertors of that damnable error of justification by works. That to the Galatians is plainly written, to cure a begun, and obviate a full apostasy from the purity of the gospel, in the point of justification by faith, without the works of the law. And from these two epistles, if we be wise, we must learn the truth of this doctrine, and expound all other scriptures in a harmony with what is there so sadly determined, as in foro contradictorio. 7. Lastly, it is not to be denied, or concealed, that on each side, some have run into extremes, which the generality do not own, but are usually loaded with. The Papists run high for justification by works, yet even some of them, in the Council of Trent, discoursed very favorably of justification by faith. The Arminians have qualified a little the grossness of the popish doctrine in this article, and some since have essayed to qualify that of the Arminians, and to plead the same cause more finely. Again, some have run into the other extreme, as appeared in Germany a little after the Reformation, and, some such there have been always, and in all places, where the gospel hath shined, and these were called antinomians. But how unjustly this hateful name is charged upon the orthodox preachers and sincere believers of the Protestant doctrine of justification by faith only, who keep the gospel midst betwixt these two rocks, is the design of this paper to discover. What we plead for, is in sum, that Jesus Christ our Savior is the fountain opened in the house of David for sin and for uncleanness wherein only man can be washed in justification and sanctification, and that there is no other fountain of man's devising, nor of God's declaring, for washing a sinner first, so as to make him fit and me to come to this, to wash, and to be clean. As for inherent holiness, is it not sufficiently secured by the Spirit of Christ received by faith, the certain spring and cause of it by the Word of God, the plain and perfect rule of it, by the declared necessity of it to all them that look to be saved, and to justify the sincerity of a man's faith, unless we bring it into justification, and thereby make our own pitiful holiness sit on the throne of judgment, with the precious blood of the Lamb of God? Though I expect that a more able hand will undertake an examination of the new divinity, yet, to fill up a little room, I would speak somewhat to their killing argument, that is so much boasted of, and so frequently insisted on by them as their shield and spear. Their argument is this, that Christ's righteousness is our legal righteousness, but our own is our evangelical righteousness, that is, when a sinner is charged with sin against the holy law of God, he may oppose Christ's righteousness as his legal defense, but against the charge of the gospel, especially for unbelief, he must produce his faith, as his defense or righteousness against that charge with a great deference to such worthy divines as have looked on this as an argument of weight, I shall, in a few words, essay to manifest that this is either as a saying the same in other odd words, that is commonly taught by us, or a sophism, or a departing from the Protestant doctrine about justification. 1. This argument concerns not at all the justification of a sinner before God. For this end, no more is needful, than to consider what this charge is against whom it is given, and by whom. The charge is said to be given in by God, and the charge of unbelief, or disobeying the gospel. But against whom? Is it against a believer or unbeliever? And these two divide all mankind. If it be against a believer, it is a false charge, and can never be given in by the God of truth. For the believer is justified already by faith, and as to this charge he is innocent. And innocence is defense enough to a man falsely charged, before a righteous judge. Is this charge given in against an unbeliever? We allow it as a righteous charge. A. But say they, will Christ's righteousness justify a man from this charge of gospel unbelief? The answer is plain. No, it will not, nor yet from any other charge whatsoever, either from law or gospel, for he hath nothing to do with Christ's righteousness while an unbeliever what then doth this arguing reprove? Is it, that no man's faith in Christ's righteousness can be justified in its sincerity before men, and in a man's own conscience, but in and by the fruits of a true lively faith? In this they have no opposers that I know of. Or is it, that a man may have Christ's righteousness for his legal righteousness, and yet be a rebel to the gospel, and a stranger to true holiness? Whoever affirmed it. Or is it, that this gospel holiness is, that which a man must not only have for that we grant, but also may venture to stand in, and to be found in before God, and to venture into judgment with God upon, in his claim to eternal life? Then we must oppose them that think so, as we know their own consciences will win in any lively exercise. These plain principles of gospel truth, while they remain, and remain they will on their own foundation, when we are all in our graves and our foolish contentions are buried do overthrow this pretended charge 1 that Christ's righteousness is the only plea and answer of a sinner arraigned at God's bar for life and death 2 this righteousness is imputed to no man but a believer 3 when it is imputed by grace and applied by faith it immediately and eternally becomes the man's righteousness before God angels men and devils romans 8 33, 35, 38, 39. It is a righteousness that is never lost, never taken away, never ineffectual, answers all charges, and is attended with all graces. 2. I would ask, what is that righteousness, that justifies a man from the sin of unbelief? We have rejected the imaginary charge, let us now consider the real sin. Unbelief is the greatest sin against both law and gospel. More remotely against the law, which binds all men to believe God speaking, say what he will, more directly against the gospel, which tells us what we should believe, and commands us to believe. Let us put this case, and it is pity the case is so rare, when the sin is so common, that a poor soul is troubled about the greatness of the sin of unbelief, in calling God a liar, 1 John 5:10, in distrusting his faithful promise in doubting Christ's ability and goodwill to save, in standing aloof so long from Jesus Christ, as many of the elect are long in a state of unbelief till called, and the best of believers have unbelief in some. Measure in them, Mark 9, 24. Abraham's faith staggered sometimes, Genesis 12. And 20. What shall we say to a conscience thus troubled? Will any man dare to tell him? that Christ's righteousness is his legal righteousness against the charge of sins against the law, but for gospel charges, he must answer them in his own name? I knew our hottest opposers would abhor such an answer, and would freely tell such a man, that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin, and that his justification from his unbelief must be only in the righteousness, which he so sinfully had rejected while in unbelief, and now lays hold on by faith. Three. But some extend this argument yet more dangerously, for they say, that not only man must have their faith for their righteousness against the charge of unbelief, but repentance against the charge of impotence, sincerity against that of hypocrisy, holiness against that of unholiness, and perseverance as their gospel righteousness, against the charge of apostasy. If they mean only, that these things are justifications and fruits of true faith, and of the sincerity of the grace of God in us. We do agree to the meaning, but highly dislike the expressions, as unscriptural and dangerous, tending to the dishonoring of the righteousness of Christ, and to run men on the rocks of pride and self-righteousness, that natural corruption drives all men upon. But if they mean that, either jointly or separately, they are our righteousness before God, or that, either separate from, or mixed with Christ's righteousness, they may be made our claim and plea for salvation. I must say, that it is dangerous doctrine, and its native tendency is, to turn Christ's imputed righteousness out of the church, to destroy all the solid peace of believers, and to exclude gospel justification out of this world, and reserve it to another, and that with a horrible uncertainty of any particular man's partaking of it. But these blessed truths of God, and blessings of believers, stand on firmer foundations than heaven or earth and will continue fixed against all the attempts of the gates of hell. Blessed be the rock, Christ, on which all is built, blessed be the new covenant, ordered in all things and sure, and blessed is he that believeth, for there shall be a performance of those things, which are told him from the Lord, Luke 1, 45. Amen. London, Sept. 1. 1692.